This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, October the 27th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-audio. No, it's AMI-tv. Hit the horns and go. I don't know why AMI-audio is still so much in my natural lexicon. Maybe it's because on the show today, we're going to be talking to a couple AMI-audio folks. I can't quit you. Can't quit you at all. Coming up on the show today, you can make trick-or-treating more sensory-friendly this Halloween. Crystal Seaburger will tell you how. Apple has released the Mac Ventura operating system, or at the very least, an update for Mac OS Ventura. Stephen Scott will share his initial impressions. And we'll talk about one of my favorite things, the rise of online sport and neat article from Voices of the Walrus. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. Following up on the Bank of Canada has hiked its key interest rate by half a percentage point and says rates will need to rise further. RSM Canada eco- economist to win, says given the U.S. Federal Reserve is expected to raise their rates by three quarters of a percentage point next week, the Bank of Canada move is risky. So if that does happen, then this would be the first time that the Bank of Canada hikes by a smaller amount. And that could be risky in the sense that it could weaken the Canadian dollar even more than it is right now. And that could fuel inflation even further because it makes anything that is imported from the U.S. to Canada more expensive. Now, I'm not an economist like to win. I just pretend to be one on the air. For what it's worth, a weaker Canadian dollar can actually be very good for the Canadian economy because we're still an export-oriented economy. Just a point of contention there as I quibble with economists. However, Wynn does note that she expects another rate hike in December. I'm still counting on a rate hike in December. It might be a smaller one, so like 25 basis point hike, um, given that they are already sort of dialing back the pace. Since March, the Bank of Canada has raised its key interest rate six times, making it one of the fastest monetary policy tightening cycles in its history. We'll talk about that a little bit more in our daily poll in just a couple of moments. But let's move on to a related story. Food Banks Canada says the number of visits to food banks surged to nearly 1.5 million people in March, the highest in Canada's history. That's a 35% increase since 2019. CEO of Food Banks Canada, Kirsten Beardsley, says the numbers are alarming. And me, sometimes when you look at all these numbers, um, I try to remind folks that these are people. You know, behind each one of these numbers is a person who is struggling um, too much to get by. That number includes 500,000 children. Beardsley reflected on how hunger impacts children. When you're going to school hungry, you're not learning, you're not focusing, you're not setting yourself up to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Hunger isn't just a, a, an immediate problem. It actually um, is a, a problem that is that can have lasting impacts on, on our country. Beardley notes that low-income people like seniors and students have been most affected by inflation. 
Let's get to some sound from the Emergencies Act inquiry. Superintendent Robert Bernier oversaw a command center in Ottawa. He described some behavior from protesters. They had the resolve to stay. They did not. They were either wanting to be arrested or they're refusing to move, refusing to leave, and then being subject to being arrested for mischief. Bernier was asked directly by an inquiry lawyer if the Emergencies Act was necessary. Hard for me to say. I did not get to do the operation without it. So it it would be very, I don't know what complications I would have had had it not been in place and I utilized the common law. Ontario's top cop will testify at the inquiry today. Karen Rebo looks ahead. Ontario Provincial Police Commissioner Thomas Carreek is expected to provide some insight on how his force prepared for the protests against COVID-19 mandates and whether protesters posed a threat to national security. Back in March, Carreek told the Commons Public Safety Committee the OPP's intelligence unit had identified the Ottawa protest as a security threat about a week after heavy trucks arrived in the capital. But the head of that unit testified at the inquiry last week there was never any credible information showing a direct threat. On Monday, MPs on the Public Safety Committee voted to seek a response from the OPP about those conflicting statements. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. And let's pull it one more thread related to the Emergencies Act inquiry. Ontario Premier Doug Ford explained why he has refused to speak to the inquiry. From day one, Mr. Speaker, for Ontario, this was a, a policing matter. It was not a political matter. And the opposition knows, Mr. Speaker, politicians don't direct the police. Ford has filed a judicial review application seeking to quash the mandatory summons that was issued earlier this week. Let's switch to a different story. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Ottawa today. He will meet with Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Emily Javesky dives into the agenda. The trio will sit down for formal talks on support for Ukraine, human rights in Iran, and North American refugee policy. They'll also be speaking about the humanitarian crisis in Haiti, which has called for foreign military intervention. Jolie says Washington and Ottawa want to deepen ties ahead of major summits next month by the G20 and Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forums. Blinken's two-day visit ends in Montreal, where he'll visit a lithium recycling plant and talks will focus on trade in electric vehicles. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. Let's shift over to a climate-related story. There's a new report detailing the impacts of climate change on human health. Inez de la Couture takes a closer look. In a major annual report, the Lancet Commission describing how climate change is taking a toll on human health, from heat-related illnesses and infectious diseases to food insecurity and mental health. The Lancet Commission also reporting the last seven years have been the warmest on record. Total energy demand has increased by over 50 percent, and energy-related emissions reached a historical high in 2021. Electricity generation globally is still largely dominated by fossil fuels, and since 2000, greenhouse gas emissions increased by by 31%. Inez de la Quatera, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. And one more story before we get to our daily polls. Europe's energy crisis has forced some people to turn to alternative heating sources like firewood. Charles de Ledesma explains. 
Restoring old traditions may be good, but as more people stock up and burn wood, prices have skyrocketed, shortages and thefts have been reported, and scams are emerging. Foresters are putting GPS devices into logs to track the valuable stocks, and fears are rising about the environmental impact of increased air pollution and tree cutting. An example is the former Soviet Republic of Moldova. Leaders worry this winter could be devastating for many of its people because of the high cost of electricity and heat with the European natural gas prices roughly triple what they were in early 2021. I'm Charles Duladesma. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote on Facebook. We had a dead split in terms of your response to yesterday's question. We asked you how willing are you to change phone slash internet companies for a better price? 33.3% of you said very 33.3% of you said somewhat, and 33.3% of you said not at all. Wow. Even split on that one across the board. I think that means I asked you a good question. Let's see if I can repeat the magic today at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What is your level of concern with the rising interest rates? Very concerned, somewhat concerned, or not concerned at all? I have been banging this drum on this show for a long time that the Bank of Canada was late to begin raising interest rates. They sat on their hands for too long, and we certainly did see some inflationary spikes, and we are still experiencing some of that inflationary spike. But it seems now there might be a little bit of an overreaction happening. And talking to some adults, because I do have adult friends, I'm not just a child in an adult's body, uh, over dinner the other night, let me just say a couple people sitting there with variable rate mortgages were a little concerned, a little concerned, a little worried. And certainly some folks who are carrying home equity lines of debt and other forms of debt also feeling the pinch a little bit. We were doing a little conversation off the air yesterday where I hopped on to one of the major banks' websites and looking at the fixed rate for mortgages on a five-year fixed term, 5.5%. You know what that was just like two years ago during the pandemic? Like 1.5, 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7. Not the variable rate. That was the fixed rate for a five-year mortgage. If somebody locked in right around then, they're feeling pretty good right now. But those folks living in that variable life, Oh, baby. It's an ugly scene, man. It's an ugly scene. Alex Smythe, how concerned are you about rising interest rates? I'm somewhere between the very concerned and the somewhat concerned, Dave, because to me, there is, and I've been following a lot of different reports around this for for a while and and hearing what economists think is going to happen in terms of food prices in terms of uh, interest rates, just the general uh, global economy still dealing with so many different factors like the pandemic, like the war in Ukraine, things like that, that are, are driving these issues. I, To me, I don't get the clear sense that we're getting to the end of this. I know our, our uh, inflation rate has dropped uh, uh, slightly over the past little while, which is positive, but as we heard in that earlier report, there's still expected to be another rate hike come December. And I don't expect that one to be the last rate hike to, hu- uh, to come. Thankfully for me right now, I'm not locked in, as you you had talked about, with, with a, a home or, or a mortgage of, of some kind where you're really feeling the pinch of these rising interest rates. And 
while some people, as you mentioned, if you locked into those like 1.5 uh, fixed rate mortgages, you're you're laughing now, but you know those are going to mature in a couple years, and then when you have to re up the rate, you're not going to get a 1.5. You're I I would be surprised if you're lucky enough to get even a five or a six uh, percent rate. I think it's still going to keep increasing, and we may see you know in three years or so. A lot of people not being able to afford the homes that they bought during the pandemic when those those interest rates were very, very low. Yeah, to a certain degree, and I hope folks don't see this as ableist language, but sometimes the uh, cure can be worse than the illness. And now some of these rising interest rates, especially for a population that already carried a lot of debt, even outside of mortgages, those credit card month over month uh, rates go up as well. So there's a lot of ways that interest can be impacting. Although, you know, if you're a savings account person, I was seeing some ads this morning, 4.5, 4.75% annual interest in high interest savings accounts. So nice time to have cash on hand in the savings account if you can. Eliza Rocco, what's your level of concern with rising interest rates? I would say I'm in a very similar camp as Alex. I don't have a mortgage. As we've discussed on the show, I'm not going to be able to afford a home in Toronto or the GTA in, uh, in uh, quite some time. So that's just not an, imme- it's not an immediate concern for me. I don't have a variable loan. I'm okay. But seeing a lot of the difficulties my friends and families are going through is is really really tough and while they're in an okay position right now if it if the trend continues this way which seems to be the case at least for a bit i think i'm definitely gonna go into the camp of the very concerned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely the interest rate to a certain degree an inflationary number tells you what you're experiencing an interest rate is telling you is telling you what you're going to experience. Yeah. So to a certain degree, when we're looking at inflation, that's something we know it's tangible. There's a lot of unknown when we start factoring in things like the interest rates. Eliza, thank you for this. I appreciate your insight. I want to hear from you too, though. You're out there. You have thoughts on this. You're hanging out at dinner tables with your friends talking about these things in very adult ways. So Chime in on social media, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You vote on the poll. You get involved in the comments section. You say, that Dave Brown, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't have any grasp on the economy. Here's what's really going on. You write it. I'll read it. I promise you. Your input means a lot to me. So keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming. We are living that life of digital democracy. Let's bring back Alex Smythe. Alex has the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, it's cloudy with possible showers late this afternoon and a high of 19. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's same thing, cloudy and possible showers, but this time it's in the morning and the high is 20. In Montreal, Quebec, It's cloudy, with a chance of showers in the morning, then it'll be clearing for the afternoon. There is wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour expected, and a high of 10. Over to Ottawa, Ontario, it's cloudy, but clearing up near noon, with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, and also a high of 10. In Toronto, Ontario, clouds are clearing out this morning, making way for sunshine, and a high of 11. Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy, with a high of 11. 
in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's mainly sunny as well, and uh, it's wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of 12. Over to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds, which will clear up later, and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is 11. In Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and clearing later, and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour, with 12 being the high. Up in Edmonton, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds, and you guessed it, the clouds are clearing later. The high there is 15. Over to Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, it's cloudy with snow beginning in, uh, in and around noon, with up to two centimeters expected, and a high of zero. Vancouver, BC, you know, there's been a lot of dry, uh, arid conditions. Well, we're making up for it now. There's rain throughout the day with up to 25 millimeters expected. And a special weather statement is in effect because there are high winds that are going to be reaching 70 kilometers per hour. There's also a high of 11. And finally, in Victoria, BC, there'll be rain off and on today and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high there is 15. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, you can make trick-or-treating more sensory-friendly this Halloween. Crystal Seaburger will tell you how. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Halloween is around the corner. It's on Monday. That means some fun trick-or-treating action. But it also means a weekend of partays, shindigs, getting dressed up, having some fun, having a good time. Here's the thing. Halloween is filled with all kinds of sensory stimulation. So what does that mean for people with sensory sensitivities? How can we make trick-or-treating and Halloween a little more sensory-friendly? Well, let's find out with Crystal Seaburger, the founder and CEO of Sensory Friendly Solutions. Hey, Crystal, it's been a couple of years. So great to chat with you once again. It has been, Dave O'Charter. I think it was 2018 when oh my we last gosh. spoke. I know. I was I was trying to remember. Um, anyways, I'm delighted to be here uh, with you again, again today. Uh, and I wanted to mention, I wanted to start, it's just absolute perfect timing that you have me as an occupational therapist uh, on the show today. Uh, I don't know if you knew or if your listeners know, uh, but it's uh, October 27th is World Occupational Therapy oh, Day. Oh, all right. Okay. So it's, it's just, a, a, yeah. a double happy, a double happy it, mark it, on that one. It, Exactly. I'm like double whammy. Yeah, <laughs> kind of two for one or like getting up to Halloween and uh, yeah, World OT Day. So thank you. Crystal, how do OTs celebrate World Occupational yeah. Therapist Day? What do you guys do? You stretch each other I, out a little bit? I don't know. You know what? I have to, I have to confess most of the, most of the things I, I see, you know, we, we promote OT again, like I'm doing now talking about, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the things that we support. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the theme for World OT Day. Um, professionally, we like to get together. Um, and I, I see a lot of uh, pictures of us eating out uh, around <laughs> this. It's, it's OT month in, in Canada. 
Canada. It's World OT Day, but like we we get together, um, celebrate. Uh, we you know we can't eat eat out now and uh, just have good good chats together. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, and lots of promotion. The theme I did. Uh, perfect uh, that we're talking about sensory friendly Halloween. The theme for World OT Day this year um, is how opportunity and choice contribute to justice. And as you said in your in your introduction, uh, because of sensory sensitivity or even sensory overload or any sensory differences, uh, that opportunity to celebrate Halloween, which as you alluded to is very sensory rich, uh, isn't always there because sometimes that's it's just too overwhelming. Mm. So that leads to a a lack of choice, right? Mm. Um, and and to a little bit of, of injustice. So uh, yeah, so I, I'm I'm happy to talk about how just some small changes make a big difference for a lot of people, a lot of children. Let's talk about those small changes as opposed to sort of laying out all the problems here. Let's be solutions focused because I think the solution will tell us what the problem is. So you've put out a guide here that actually offers up some of these suggestions. What are some of the big takeaways that we can do to make sure that all children can be included on Halloween night? Yeah. So um, one of the first things is just changing and and managing our own expectations right so sometimes we sort of expect have have a a lot that that it's going to be fun that halloween uh is um you know uh, with uh, there's uh, costumes there's lots of things to see and sometimes there's like music and and lights and candy um that that all of that is is fun um and sometimes it's it's not so uh things to do are really uh, helping to manage expectations around what we're doing and it may not necessarily be we're gonna do the whole neighborhood uh, for Halloween and to go trick-or-treating just a small change like how about just doing a a couple of houses or even um, you know driving to specific houses if that's a, a possibility or going to specific houses where children uh, know, you know, know your neighbors or know friends or family. It's it it's a little overwhelming going to strangers, uh, so many strangers um, homes all at once. Uh, so that's uh, that's something really uh, really helpful to do, as well as just uh, preparing. Like Halloween comes once a year, um, and we we don't. There's not always a lot of opportunities. We're not always like dressing up and going door to door and eating candy on many other occasions throughout the year. Uh, so looking at, uh, you know, videos or pictures of, you know, what we've done, right, in, in years past, just sort of becoming familiar uh, is a really, is, is also a really good strategy. Mm. What about trying to make my own home a little bit more welcoming because I'm not going to go out, Crystal. I'm too old. I'm too big. People be like, that kid (laughs) does not get any of this free candy. What can I do to make sure that somebody knows and somebody feels welcomed on Halloween night at my place? 
so a couple of things, and I'll say, you know, my house is, is an example. It's really, really toned down. I, I actually don't have a lot of uh, decorations, right? Um, so one of the things is, um, first of all, let uh, let your community uh, know, you know, we have a little, uh, there's a, you can, there's a little printable, right? My house is a sensory friendly house. Um, if you're making changes, uh, you know, share, share that on social media or with your community networks or with uh, friends or family that uh, you might think, uh, you know, that would be a good fit for. Uh, but really, you know, I talked about changing expectations, change your expectation of the children uh, coming to your door. Uh, so for them, sometimes having a big chat and getting them to say trick or treat or thank you or having that little conversation um, can be overwhelming. So sometimes I'm just sort of mindful for some kids, okay, we're just going to Keep, keep the convo to a minimum. Um, again, my house is really, right, there's a, a pumpkin. That's it. Mm -hmm. I don't have um, a lot of um, uh, lights. I don't have, uh, I have good, you know, good lighting so kids can see coming up the driveway. Uh, but uh, there's not a lot of uh, decorations. There's not a lot of things that make noise. There's no flashing lights, uh, flickering lights. Um, and I just, you know, really keep it simple here. Um, and then I'm also, you know, making sure, you know, candles and the pumpkin um, and that art scented, right? There's a lot of mm -hmm. scents with, with mm -hmm. candy, you know, think of all your senses, what you see, what you hear, there's a lot, you're tasting a lot on Halloween if you're sampling that candy. Um, so really, uh, you know, trying not to have a lot of other things, a lot of scented candles or anything that contributes to that sense mm. of smell. Yeah, it's simple doesn't need to be unesthetically pleasing either, right? You can still have a beautiful pumpkin with the candle yeah. well covered. We're still going to yeah. have that aesthetic piece. I know what we used to do at my parents' mm. place. Instead of putting like big strobing lights or anything, yeah. what we would do is we'd actually end up changing the color in our porch light so that it was like a nice soft green. So it still yeah. kind of felt a little bit in the spirit, but it wasn't like boom in your face. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, Dave. Like that is a, just a, a perfect example. Think about, um, you know, what, you know, what helps you celebrate? What do you enjoy? Uh, but is there a way to make it less sensory rich, right? A little bit different. So there's a bit of an experience there, uh, but not overwhelming. Uh, I know in years years past where um, I we did have um, I'd say a, a little bit a little bit more uh, with uh, music or lights. We'd sort of have that turned off, and actually, when the kids came to the door, we'd ask them, "Do you?" Do you want to listen to some, you know, some spooky music? Oh, nice. uh, do you want us to, you know, and it, having, and now there's a lot of, um, uh, a, a lot of decorations that move, right? So not, a, so where it's not turned on all the time, but actually, you know, uh, giving agency uh, to, to the, the kids coming to the door and, and, you know, do you, do you mm. want to experience this? Let's turn that on. Let's let you experience giving a little bit of a sense of, of control for them. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Crystal, we know that Halloween's not just for the kids though we know there's parties that lots of folks are enjoying what's a word of advice on making the party a little bit more inclusive and a little more sensory friendly yeah 
um, something you'll I, and I think you'll you'll find um, uh, people uh, who want that experience. Again, parties are sensory; they're busy, noisy, bright, right? Um, I, I think you'll 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 find uh, your guests probably uh, create this for themselves if you don't uh, if you don't do it. But just sort of have a, a quiet zone, right, or a, a quiet room uh, if you can. And sometimes that ends up being uh, you know might be out on the balcony or out on the front porch. Um, uh, if there's a if there's a, a, a room you're having a you know a big if there's a, a big community uh, event uh, in a big room well have a have a smaller room uh, that is the quiet zone where uh, you know there is no music there's comfortable seating uh, there's um, again no sense uh, you know, good lighting, but maybe lighting that's a little bit uh, subdued, not the big flashing lights. Uh, so that's often a really easy thing to do uh, that you can create in your in your own home, your own space, or if, if you're at a community event uh, indoors, uh, create that at a community event uh, space too. A quiet, dimly writ, lit room with a yeah. comfortable seat. Crystal, you're talking my yeah. language. That's, that's the only yeah. parties that I want to go to it as I'm rapidly approaching 40 years old. Uh, yeah. Crystal, there's a, there's a lot of information here that, that, we, that we're not going to get a chance to get to no. today, but you guys do have the guide available. Where should people go? Because there's still plenty of time between now and Monday to make sure that their homes are as inclusive and accessible as possible heading into this Halloween. Uh, thank you. Folks, uh, head over to sensoryfriendly.net. Uh, it's all on our website. Uh, there's a couple of blog posts about uh, what, what parents can do, what families can do, what you can do uh, for your neighborhood. Uh, Dave, as you said, there's a downloadable uh, guide on our YouTube channel. There's actually a sensory-friendly story uh, for children about Halloween that you can you know, read or listen to uh, with your child uh, and watch about, it, it just sort of goes through what to expect around the sensory experience of trick-or-treating and helps prepare kids for that. Crystal, we're so grateful for your time today and grateful for all the work you've been doing. Let's try to connect uh, more than once every four years because <laughs> I want to I stay up to do with all the work that you and your colleagues are doing. All right, Dave, I, I would love to speak to you every World Occupational Therapy Day if we want to commit to that. Uh, but anytime, I really uh, thank you for having me here on this particular day. Uh, and I really wish everyone uh, a happy, fun, sensory-friendly, accessible, and inclusive Halloween. Oh, thank you so much, Crystal. Have yourself a great day. All right, you too. Bye now. That's Crystal, that's Crystal Seeberger, the president and founder, well, the CEO and founder of Sensory Friendly Solutions. Coming up next, we'll talk about one of my favorite things. I mean, these are all my favorite things because I have a lot of editorial control over the show. But every now and then somebody comes forward with one that I'm like, wow, that's legitimately one of my favorite things. It's the rise of online sports wagering. Don Dickinson features a neat article from Voices of the Walrus. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let's bring in the producer of Voices of the Walrus, Don Dickinson, to feature a couple of the really neat articles from this week's episode. Hey, good morning, Don. Hi there, Dave. Don, considering the subject matter of these two articles, we could change the name of the show to Vices of the Walrus. 
I know. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Oh, my kind of segment here on a Thursday morning. Uh, Don, the first one, I mean, I mean, we're giggling a little bit here, but there is some seriousness to this, and it's discrimination against sex work has become a flashpoint for freedom of expression and economic rights advocates. So let's start with OnlyFans. That website banned porn from their platform and then backtracked. Why the initial ban? Well, uh, in an interview with the Financial Times, OnlyFans founder and CEO Tim Stokely blamed the chaos on corporate struggles, including the frequent refusal by major banks to process its transactions or host associated accounts. Such obstacles have fed the platform's anxiety about its long-term profitability, despite, and this blew me away, a user base of over 130 million. Wow. Only, yeah, OnlyFans has failed to attract venture capital. Its association with adult content appears to be scaring off investors and financial institutions. Not that I want to reveal too much here, but I, I thought OnlyFans was exclusively used by uh, porn stars. So that uh, goes to show my <laughs> ignorance. I didn't know it served another purpose. Uh, Don, what's the <laughs> argument that some people are making in relation to financial discrimination against sex workers? Well, Rebecca Sullivan, a pornography studies scholar, I didn't even know that sort of uh, position existed, by the way, Dave, uh, at the University of Calgary, um, it basically says that relentless moralizing uh, is a smokescreen for regressive politics. Sex work is not uniquely degrading, she says, and to most, it's simply a job. Sullivan is especially frustrated, frustrated by the way sex workers are forced to wear a financial scarlet letter under the guise of risk mitigation. Credit card companies complain that adult content generates high rates of what they call chargeback. And this is a term for when a customer contests a transaction and asks for the charge to be reversed. When it comes to pornography, and of course this is probably obvious, right? Embarrassed clients will often report that the transaction was fraud rather than admit to the purchase. Mm. And of course, when this chargeback keeps occurring and occurring and occurring, the banks are not pleased. Yeah, going a bit further there, Don. how do banks mm. perceive the industry? Well, they're not particularly thrilled with it, as you can imagine. Uh, Valerie Weber, a porn performer and researcher who specializes in occupational health in the sex industry, uh, that's a subject that we've talked about, obviously, on air, uh, blames the banks for generating perpetual shame narratives about adult entertainment work. Uh, quote, performers and producers are denied personal credit cards, have accounts often suspended, incur bloated transaction costs, and even face outright exclusion from essential financial services. Uh, worse, she said, these politics pointedly target a workforce largely composed of women trans and queer folk. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just not being able to access the normal financial services that all all of us take as as common you yeah know? whether that be at the personal level or the business level as well for a lot of these uh, major production companies too so it's a really interesting read this is definitely one of those incredible walrus articles that just takes a bit of a different lens on an issue that may sort of be 
en passant, commented on by people. A chance to really uh, learn a little bit more here. So, Don, thank you for giving us just a teaser on that one. But we definitely encourage folks to listen to the episode on AMI-audio weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Don, let's move on to something else here, a, a different vice, and a vice that I'm very comfortable <laughs> admitting that I sometimes buy into. If you watch <laughs> any kind of sports on TV, you've surely noticed a barrage of commercials advertising online sports wagering companies. It's a very recent development at a legislative level that has really opened the floodgates. So, Don, let's start with some stargazing. Who are some of the high-profile celebrities being paraded out in these commercials? Okay, well, you have to forgive me here, Dave, because I don't know these sports folks like you do, but basically <laughs> the article uh, uh, cites Edmonton Oilers' Connor McDavid mm-hmm. is endorsing the big one, which is the Bet MGM. Mm-hmm. Uh, actor Jamie Foxx and athletes such as NFL running back Marshawn Lynch and retired NBA forward Kevin Garnett and also uh, are also uh, Bet MGM uh, brand ambassadors. Then there's all kinds of other folks that are working for places like Disney and whatnot. Um, and uh, those include, uh, like I say, forgive me here, is it Jalen? Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose. And they've got Charles Barkley and um, uh, cable network TNT um, uh, sports betting uh, is also involved. So a lot of high profile Mm -hmm. people, uh, you know, in in sports are, are participating. There's a lot of money out there in sports wagering and it's splashed all over the sports broadcasts now, sometimes in a very disingenuous way, but that's perhaps a different mm. uh, comment for me to get into. Uh, Don, I, I mentioned briefly off the top, there's been a legislative change nationally and provincially in the states as well. How has that taken sports gambling from bookies and back alleys to sanctioned online sports books? Well, the author writes that following in the steps of the U.S. and the U.K., Canada is caught up in a gambling gold rush that is basically uh, penetrating every crack and corner of the sports world. It's all thanks to recent legislation uh, that has changed, obviously, that legalizes most forms of sports betting in Canada and created a competitive market for private gambling companies in Ontario. Um, spectators have been betting on the outcome of sports uh, for roughly as long as people have been playing sports, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I bet Don uh, runs faster than Dave. I got $5 that Don wins this foot race. Yeah, Uh, but with uh, with the ease of technology and the weak advertising laws, these new forms pose a serious risk to problem gamblers. And of course, that's obvious, right? Yeah, I mean, now you can do it anywhere, you know. Yeah, what are some of those broader concerns people are uh, raising about the possibility rising gambling addiction. Yeah, well, this is the problem, right? I mean, many, many who treat gambling addictions um, think that this is a very, very risky business uh, and has to be taken very, very seriously, opening up the floodgates for people who may not uh, have gambled even in the first place, like people uh, uh, who never gamble, right? Mm-hmm. But because, mm-hmm. of the, because of the ease of access, and this is the thing, right? The idea that a, a legitimized market is, is safer rests on the assumption that uh, that someone is actively trying to protect gamblers. And he says, who could possibly look out for the gamblers when the same companies that are broadcasting, reporting on, and advertising the games now have a vested interest in encouraging the gambling. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it, there's something about it that beyond the barrage of ads, there is something distasteful about sort of sports commentators getting up there and being, oh, you know, three and a half point favorite tonight for those interested, but they're not necessarily 
really even offering any kind of analysis to that or any kind of like feedback to that. They're just saying, eh, gamble on it. Go ahead, go for it. And that is really disingenuous because now you're very passively giving the message to people. You're very pass passively approving it. And you might be putting people out there who don't actually know what they're doing. The thing about gambling is there are a lot of people who are professional at it, who know what they're doing, who are studying the lines, looking for trends, doing all this stuff. But you can't just sort of just casually mention, oh, yeah, put a couple bucks on the game, have a little bit of fun, because that can really trigger something in somebody. And it's, it's a bit of a dangerous practice. Now, I don't want to go too far into clutching my pearls on this, Don, because I'm someone <laughs> who really enjoys sports gambling. But for me, it's I'm going to lose seven to eight dollars on a Sunday and every now and then win four to five dollars on a Saturday. You know, we're really not talking about big, big margins, but it would be really easy if I had a more um, catalyzable personality that it would be very easy to drop 50, 60, 70, 100, 200 bucks, 1,000 bucks on a weekend if I didn't have a stop mechanism. Oh, absolutely. And and I think your point is well taken. It's the subtleness of it, right? It's these sports casters kind of making it just all kind of jolly and, uh, oh, you know, it's it, it just sort of permeates the society, right? And that's the thing that these, these gambling experts are really, really worried about, right? Yeah. That vulnerable, vulnerable people, particularly people who may be like, like think about the pandemic, right? Like if, if this had have happened early on in the pandemic, I think it would have been horrendous, right? Because yeah. let's, you know, well, well, people worth, are bored for, to tears. For what it's worth, there was no sports to bet on early in the pandemic, well, though. I would have been yeah, betting true. on marble yeah. races. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like people who are vulnerable and bored and 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 find this to be even slightly uh, titillating would think, oh, well, let's, and, you know, it's an innocent yeah. little bet yeah. and everybody's condoning it. I mean, that's the other thing, Dave, you know, it's this kind of whitewash of of, condo uh, of condoning all of it, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. I, the other thing that really strikes me, Don, I was having dinner with a few friends who work in the advertising industry the other night, and a lot of them are now working on some cannabis files. And apparently trying to crack uh. the advertising code in cannabis is quite difficult because there are a lot of rules about what you can do and where you can do it, particularly around age gating. They want to make sure nobody under legal consumption age is seeing an ad for cannabis products. However, it seems with gambling, we're totally cool just bombarding the airwaves with ads. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that about the cannabis. How in the world do you do that so that kids don't, I mean, kids see everything. I think kids see more than adults sometimes, you know? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why they're not really allowed to advertise in online spaces. They can't advertise on TV or other, other linear media. A lot of the advertising, and this is what they're trying to figure out, is how to do advertising in store. How do you cut deals with the store oh. to feature your products? But I don't want to reveal too much because I was actually doing a little Dave Brown consulting at that dinner table, oh. <laughs> and I shared some pretty good ideas with them. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to cut myself out of my own deals that I was trying to make at that dinner table. Uh, but Don, we're so appreciative that you took some time for us this morning to share these articles. We're encouraging folks 9 a.m. Eastern time on weekdays to a tune in to Voices of the Walrus. Great work as always, Don. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, Dave. Bye bye. That's Don Dickinson, the producer of Voices of the Walrus, which you can find weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Now, some of you might say, well, at 9 a.m., sometimes I hear the McLean's Magazine show. That's because they alternate, Voices of the Walrus and McLean's. Either way, they're both great reading shows, and they're both produced by Don Dickinson. So, how can you go wrong? Coming up next, how can travel be more accessible? Disability Solutions Specialist Aaron Bush has some answers. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. 
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There are so many barriers and obstacles when it comes to accessible travel. Maybe the better way of phrasing that is inaccessible travel. Of course, the big, big, big ones are the stories that we covered. And we've talked about the issue that my and Ziv faced with a lost and broken mobility device, a wheelchair. But we know that's all too common across the board. But what about even when you get to your destination? Hotels, restaurants, all the things that make a vacation a vacation. There are plenty of times where you're going to run into accessibility barriers in those spots as well. Well, there are organizations and people aiming to bridge those gaps and give you the resources you need to make travel as accessible as possible. Aaron Bush is a disability solutions specialist and the owner of Ateezy, an online accessibility travel resource working to address the issue. Hey, Aaron, thank you for making time for us today. We're grateful. Thank you for having me. Aaron, I may have mispronounced the name of your company, first of all. I was saying Ateezy, <laughs> but now that I think about it, is it A to Z? Tell me about A to Z, Ateezy, your company, and your overall goal and your mission. It is A to Z, yes. I have. I, you are not the first person to uh, mispronounce or butcher <laughs> that name. or, or uh, But yes, uh, it is an accessible travel website. It's, uh, the purpose of it is to advocate for people with disabilities. And as you said, people with uh, disabilities, uh, uh, mainly wheelchair users, scooter users, they'll board an airplane or they'll get to their destination. The big one is that they will uh, arrive at their destination and they'll find that their wheelchair has been damaged or destroyed by the airline. Uh, there was just a big one by uh, WestJet, uh, just the other... Uh, I, it just popped up on my social media channel last night. Uh, one of my uh, one of my friends was, uh, that I used to play power soccer with. He uh, arrived in uh, Calgary, and uh, uh, the airline had had uh, well, he 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 uh, had some minor damage with his wheelchair, but it, he he arrived and his his uh, um, he, he was asked to leave the plane. Uh, because they just couldn't accommodate. Uh, there was another one on Twitter that uh, a few weeks ago, he uh, the, the person involved had their wheelchair destroyed. So these are things that are happening in the airline industry, and it's just because uh, airlines haven't yet uh, found these solutions that would allow a person with a wheelchair to bring their uh, uh, device onto the plane. Mm. And these are things that I've been um, uh, uh, thinking about when building my uh, my website, and I've created this digital tool uh, on this platform to help mitigate the risks for travelers that are bringing their uh, traveling with their wheelchair. So that's one of the things I've been uh, working on here. Yeah, Aaron, we know the issue, as you point out, is all too common. You're pointing to some very recent examples, but this is a systemic issue. We're talking about thousands of times a year in the United States this happens. That is like yeah. wild, wild statistical data. So tell me more about the tool that you're developing here, what you're trying to do, how you're trying to accomplish this and bridge this gap. So the tool that I've uh, built, I, I call it the I device profile. Uh, what the user does when they travel is they uh, is they input some information about their their flight information. So they'll uh, and their their 
a wheelchair, for example. They'll, uh, in, and these are all things that the uh, uh, that the airlines generally ask when a tra traveler is traveling with a wheelchair is uh, what kind of battery are you, uh, is in the wheelchair? How wide is it? How tall is it? Um, where they're traveling from, where they're traveling to. Uh, and these, these are all things that um, uh, airlines ask and the travel agent should be asking because when, when this information isn't collected, uh, it increases the chance that a person with a wheelchair is going to be uh, deplaned or that something's going to happen on their uh, at their destination. And as it, it does happen frequently, it happens uh, at least 29 times a day in the United States. Um, and uh, so once once a user uh, comes to this uh, platform and puts in this information, uh, it builds a profile. So what uh, what what this profile will show it'll it'll show the information about their wheelchair uh, the the width the height the uh, these handling instructions uh, the the user can specify the uh, to the tooth uh, what the uh, how how they want the airline to handle their wheelchair uh, visual references they can because uh, I mean it's one thing to uh, explain. It's another to to actually show. So there's there are uh, references uh, on the tool that will allow the user to provide very brief segments to record. Uh, this is how you turn on the chair. This is how you tilt the chair. This is how you put it into neutral. Uh, this is a fuse switch because sometimes um, sometimes uh, the airline will deactivate the fuse switch. And it, it, more so than just um, disconnecting the cable, they'll they'll there's a switch uh, near the battery that they will deactivate. And I've had it happen to me. Um, I'll get to my destination. I'll plug in the cable, and things still won't turn on. So it's uh, it's it, it can be surprising, and it's important for the traveler to know where their fuse switch is in case that happens to them. Um, and once all this information is uh, added to their profile, uh, they can, it, it'll show up on a single page that they can share with a QR code. So they get to the airport, uh, they can share this information, um, they, they can, they, they'll get to the gate, they can show this information to the uh, to the ramp agent that'll be taking their chair, they can uh, they'll have a QR code on their phone that they can say here, scam me, or they can take that to the backrest and just write scam me on the uh, on, on a piece of paper mm. that has a QR code on it, uh, and the person that's loading the chair can scan that QR code. It'll take them straight to the to their profile and have all that information on their profile. You hosted a live demo and a Q and A last weekend. What was the response like from attendees? Uh, I haven't actually re uh, had that demo done yet. That's on October 29th. So I'm going to be, uh, it, the link is actually on the website at the top of the page. So anybody that's wanting to uh, take part in this uh, demo uh, can go to the website. They can click on that uh, link and they can still register. It uh, starts at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time or 1 p.m. Eastern um, on the 29th. Well, that leads me perfectly into my last question. Aaron, where should people go to find out more information or maybe even get their own profile set up ASAP? 
the website is A to Z, A T Y Z I, or Z I, and if they call it in Canada, uh, <laughs> doc, uh, dot com. Um, I am Canadian, so I'm uh, from the West Coast here. Uh, but uh, they go to the website. There's a link at the top of the page. Um, it's a big blue box that says, here, uh, check out this, uh, uh, this webinar that's happening. Um, and uh, once I get to the Facebook page, I can just register. And uh, I'll be, my colleague and I, uh, Josh and I, will be performing a live webinar on the 29th at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. Aaron, I'll tell you something about the expression Z versus Z. I used to work in morning radio as a traffic reporter, and I've never received as much hate mail as one day when I referred to going from point A to point Z. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) The people of Ottawa, they were just flooding the email. And Ottawans are very polite by nature. And they said, we live in Canada, and as a member of the national broadcaster, we expect you to say Z. So uh, yeah. I've also been caught in the A to Z uh, debate from time to time, too. I've never made that mistake ever again. Yeah, it's um, actually because I also work as an actor. So uh, <laughs> so part of that process is that uh, is that uh, American and Canadian television uh, and, and film, they don't... Um, they well, they don't necessarily mind it, but they would prefer it if you had a standard North American dialect. So uh, I've since lost a lot of my Canadianisms <laughs> in in the process. <laughs> well, Aaron, we're so grateful for the time you could give us today. Let's stay in touch. I'd love to chat with you again down the road as you guys uh, continue to grow the company and continue to uh, to try and offer some solutions here to a really critical problem. So well done by you and your colleague, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's Aaron Bush, the co-owner and a disability solutions specialist at A to Z. There you go. We got that one right. And Aaron joined us from Vancouver, BC. Coming up after the break, I have the regional news update and Brock Richardson stops by for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. October the 27th, 2022. Stephen Scott will share his initial impressions. Here's Arthur Napier McGill Distinguished Service Award. That's a mouthful, but the work is important, so Karen McGee will shout them out. But let's begin the hour with the regional news update. British Columbia's incoming Premier David Eby has been asked by the province's Governor-General to begin the process of forming government in a step towards transitioning into his new role. Eby says his top priorities are housing, health care and public safety, but he has not made any decisions about a cabinet shuffle. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, having the opportunity to sit down with my colleagues, meet with them individually, talk about their priorities, not just for their communities, but for files that they have that they've been given by Premier Horgan and to take an assessment of where our government is at and where we're going. And it's not until that process is complete that I'll have anything to say about any cabinet roles or anything related to that. There is no confirmed date for EB to be sworn in as Premier. Let's head over to the prairies where Winnipeg voters have chosen Scott Gillingham as their new mayor. Gillingham feels he can improve life in the city. But my campaign motto has been from the start, uniting to build a stronger Winnipeg. And it will be my goal 
to make every effort through the coming months and years of this term to unite Winnipeg together so we can build a stronger, brighter city. Elsewhere in Manitoba, Colleen Smook was re-elected as mayor in Thompson and Mike Spence won another term in Churchill. Jeff Fawcett is the new mayor in Brandon. Fawcett comes from city council where he'd served two terms. Let's get to some news out of Saskatchewan. There was a throne speech yesterday, but beyond the throne speech, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe says he'll continue to fight the federal government on environmental policies. Moe points to some areas where he feels the government is out of its jurisdiction. The cap on, on fertilizer, for example, is, is outside of the bounds of the federal government, uh, federal government's jurisdiction. The cap on, on oil production, outside of the bounds of the, of the federal, federal government's uh, jurisdiction. And so, like I say, we'll get into the details of it once the, the legislation is introduced. The government will introduce Saskatchewan First Act, or the Saskatchewan First Act, in the coming days. Over to Ontario. Metrolinx says a strike by some GO Transit workers has been averted and a tentative offer will be presented to union members. An offer will be presented to the members of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1587 on November 1st for a vote. The union representing Metrolinx's GO Transit bus drivers and other workers said last week its members had voted in favour of an October 31st strike deadline if a deal was not reached with their employer. Then over to the Atlantic provinces. Census data shows the Atlantic provinces are seeing an increase in immigration. The number of immigrants to the region has tripled, growing from 1.2% in 2006 to 3.5% last year. Dalhousie professor Moshe Lander says all levels of government need to increase investment in the region to account for the growing population. The problem is that municipal and provincial and federal services are not moving fast enough to keep in line with it. And so the solution here is that those services need to be more efficient uh, and move more nimbly uh, to accommodate the, the rising numbers. And one more story for you out of New Brunswick. The New Brunswick government has introduced legislation that would allow provincial Medicare to pay for more simple surgeries outside of hospitals. The bill would create a legal framework for a two-year pilot project moving cataract surgeries in Bathurst to a local clinic. Health Minister Bruce Fitch says the province intends to expand the program to other minor surgeries that can be done outside of a hospital. Fitch also says it could be implemented in other parts of the province before the two years are up. That's your look at the regional news. Let's talk about sports. Let's chat about them with Brock Richardson. So Brock, we were a little tight for time yesterday, so I had to rush you through a conversation about coaching at major sporting events. Well, there was a story you wanted to tell about parents at major sporting events. Fill us in on what family members will sometimes do in the stands. So in this case, my dad was uh, the uh, first in this first situation. He was the Ontario uh, coach um, for the program. And in this case, uh, there was a situation where the athlete was uh, outside of his playing box. A playing box is two and a half meters wide by uh, 3.5 meters long. So it's quite a significant player's box. And if any part of your wheelchair is on a line or over it, you then get deemed a penalty. And then your ball gets retracted and you get to throw a penalty ball at the end of the end. Well, in this case, um, 
the player was literally in my like his entire wheel was in my player's box and the referee was probably about five or six feet away uh, from the situation and she bent down as the ball was released uh, and looked to see if he was out of his player's box and then he she raised herself up and let the ball uh, proceed into the playing area well subsequently my father as the provincial coach called a timeout to ask me if the player was in um, my box and I said yes his entire wheel was in my box my father uh, put up quite a uh, contest with this uh, referee and almost got himself ejected following that we were at an international event and the referee moved the jack ball in another event the same referee and my father uh, spoke out loud as a coach and said uh, oh we're gonna go through this again are we and uh, the referee walked over and said we're not at national championships anymore I could kick you out if I wanted to and there goes the story of my father defending his players. Well, there you but go. But it was it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, this is my father, but my coach, and I'm like buried my head in my hands, just like, oh, I need to stand because I don't do conflict very well. But yeah, <laughs> and neither do I. I avoid conflict like the plague. Brock, let's uh, move on to something a little bit more fun here. Our uh, colleague and boss, Mr. F is off to Detroit, off to Buffalo tonight to watch the Montreal Canadiens and the Buffalo Sabres. And it got me thinking about fun hockey road trips, or in this case, fun sports road trips near the border. So, Brock, I'm going to fire off a couple options here going coast to coast because, yes, the show emanates from Toronto. You're in southern Ontario, but there are lots of folks listening all across the country and watching all across the country. So, some border sports towns of note Seattle, Minnesota, Chicago, Milwaukee, Detroit, Buffalo, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, New York, New Jersey, Boston, and Philly, all of which I would say are under the 10-hour mark from various major Canadian cities, and I think that's kind of where I want to draw the line because more than 10 hours of driving means that it's definitely more than a day on the road. So, Brock, of those options, road trip, sports road trip, where do you want to go? Well, hearing your list of uh, of, road the first one I have written down is Comerica Park, uh, but that's an easy one. I would love to go visit uh, Fenway Park. I think that is an iconic uh, ballpark. I would shudder to know with an age of that uh, ballpark what their accessible seating is like, but it'd be interesting to say that I was in that stadium. Seattle, as long as the Blue Jays are playing, man, I would be all over that because it's like a home game for the the, the, the Blue Jays, but for me, it would be um, Comerica Park, C- Seattle, and uh, Boston would be the three that I would go to. And then, of course, my Buffalo Bills. I've always wanted to go there. I think nowadays it's called New Era Field. It's changed a few times, but uh, yeah, those would be my places I would love to yeah. attend. I've I've got Detroit circled big time. As soon as I moved to Toronto, I said I am going to make it to Detroit to go to a sporting event. In fact, in fact, in fact, I was supposed to go to Detroit this weekend uh, as per some plans during the summer. Michigan is playing Michigan State on Saturday. I was going to hunker down at a establishment of uh, service of many liquids and chicken wings to watch that one with my Michigan shirt on and hopefully not get in a fight with Michigan State fans. And then Sunday, I was going to go to a football game at Ford Field where my beloved Miami Dolphins are going to play the Detroit Lions. 
But unfortunately, due to many, many, many other vacations and absences in our staff, I was told in no uncertain terms I was not allowed to go to Detroit this weekend. So no Detroit for me, but Detroit is 100% on my radar as one of the uh, border towns that I want to go to. But much longer term, Brock, I want to do myself what I'm calling the Midwest Baseball Ballpark Tour. So I'll leave you at Comerica Park. And is that Detroit Comerica Park? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is. I'll leave yeah. you. So I'll leave you in Detroit at Comerica Park, but then I'm going to continue on to Detroit and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and do myself a little Erie County, Lake Erie action with a couple ballparks in the summer. I would love to do a road trip through there. I've actually been yeah. to Madison Square Garden in New York and I've been to Fenway Park and I've been super, super fortunate to attend a, a hockey game in Boston as well. So I've actually done a couple of these places, but I would love to do something in the Midwest and go enjoy myself through michigan ohio and pennsylvania yeah no i agree i my father and i did the uh world junior hockey championships in 2010 slash 2011 in buffalo that's when uh russia came back from that three nothing lead in the third period and i was excited to see them win and then they lost but yeah it, <laughs> that that arena is kind of in a weird like it's in a weird location. It's kind of like in the in the slums of of Buffalo, which is it, it's very strange. I don't know. I don't know if they've done things around it since then, but it, it is an interesting uh, stadium, and it's very cool to be a part of. So there is lots of border stadiums that you can uh, you can enjoy. I remember when that Russian team came back to beat Canada in the third period oh. to a win gold. It was certainly devastating for Canadian fans, but I'll never forget the next day when reports surfaced that, oh no, some of those Russian kids were drinking on the bus celebrating on the way coming home. And all I can yeah. do is say is, stop clutching your pearls. They're 18-year-old kids. Let them have a drink on the bus after they whooped Canada's butt. If that had been the other way around, if it had been the Canadian kids, people would have been like, look at those good Canadians! But no, Canadian media was like, oh, Russians were drinking. That's no fun. That's no good. Yeah, no. I mean, for me, it's like, let them drink. I, I can remember, Dave, and I've always felt this way about the World Junior Hockey Championships. Whoever wins second, and in that case, it was Canada. We didn't stay for the uh, the, the ceremony mm -hmm. uh, just mm -hmm. because they, they just look so defeated to have have one second and I and I get the whole narrative well if you don't win first in the world juniors you might as well be last in in Canada's viewpoint but it's just it's as a fan sitting in the stadium it's like man this is this leaves me kind of sour and yeah. such a good experience I mean I was sour for other reasons obviously because they blew a three nothing lead but um yeah my my father this year uh when Dave Cameron did uh, the team this year he said Oh, I have trouble with Dave Cameron because he was <laughs> he was the guy that was there in uh, 2010, 2011. So, yeah. And they darn near blew it to the Finns in that gold medal game, too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe yes, there is something did. there. Your father might be on to something. Uh, Brock, let's move on to something as a look ahead for this evening. We haven't talked a lot about football this week, but there's a pretty intriguing game here tonight between the Baltimore Ravens and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We talked a lot about Tampa Bay on Monday, some of the struggles they're having. Tom Brady in his mid-40s finally starting to potentially look his age a little bit. But a, a really compelling game, at the very least marquee names in the game tonight. Yes, you've got uh, Tampa Bay at 3-4 and four versus Baltimore at 4-3. and three. Lamar Jackson versus Tom Brady. This is a very 
marquee game, as you mentioned. Uh, this is a game to me where Tampa Bay needs to win. I think both teams want to win. Obviously, I think this is a more important uh, game if you are Tampa Bay and the fans. Oh, I was it's critical! Smart- it's critical. The, yeah. the people in Tampa are going to get real cranky if they lose this one. I was looking this morning, and they're still atop the the division. So, uh, th- this division is is winnable for uh, Tampa Bay, but they need to get things going. Uh, the the concern I would have if you are a Tampa Bay fan is that this is going to be a pretty good pass rush from Baltimore. They got to the quarterback five times last week. Tom Brady hasn't really faced that much uh, pressure this year, so I expect this to be uh, the case. Um, if you are Baltimore, you need to take advantage of your running game because that's been sort of a weak point of uh, of uh, of Tampa Bay, along with Tom Brady just feeling like he can throw anywhere and anyone can catch it. That's kind of been a weak point. So I expect this to be kind of a low-scoring game, and I'm going to go on record and say that Baltimore wins this game by a field goal tonight. And okay. Insanity will ensue in Tampa Bay. The Brock, uh, the Brock Richardson prediction. Well, the sports fans have uh, Tampa as a two-point favorite tonight. So Brock going with the doggy and uh, the over/under forty-six points. It's funny we were just talking about sports wagering with Don Dickinson in the first segment of the sh- in the first hour of the show, and I was like, ah, sportscasters are too cavalier talking about gambling, and yet here I am being like two and a half point favorites for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> over/under forty-six. Uh, Brock, I, I want to give you one note here on the Baltimore Ravens. They've played seven games this year in all. <laughs> seven games they've had a double digit lead in the second half of a game they've lost three of those games and darn near lost the game last Sunday against Cleveland this Baltimore team they are a tale of two teams and they can get real messy real fast so that could be pretty compelling in a short week on the road on a Thursday night against what we thought was a good team but now we have concerns yes and Tom Brady does have the ability to come back from behind, there was that Super Bowl a uh, couple of seasons ago where he was like way behind and came back. And, 28-3 against 20- the Falcons. And no one thought that was coming, and guess what it did. So uh, never count Tom Brady out, but I don't know if he'll be able to dig himself out of uh, <laughs> double-digit lead right now with the way that you got. he's got to be feeling the pressure. I don't care what he's, what he's won, what he's had. He's got to be feeling the pressure because the media is uh, been on Tom Brady and talking about, you know, his age and all these things. So it'll be a very interesting game uh, this evening, which I look forward to debriefing with you as part of our sports chat tomorrow. Right on, Brock. Have a good night. Enjoy all the sports. You as well. That is Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk and the host of the Neutral Zone. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, rain off and on today with up to 4 millimeters expected and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of 19. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's a mix of sun and cloud with possible showers this morning. The wind gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour as well, the high also 19. In St. John, New Brunswick, you guess it, it's mainly cloudy with possible showers throughout the day. The high there is 20. In Quebec City, Quebec, 
It's a mix of sun and clouds and possible showers this morning. You can see a trend forming here. Wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of 12. In Toronto, Ontario, it's thankfully clouds clearing this morning for sunshine, but the high is only 11. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of 10. Over to Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny, wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 10 as well. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly sunny, wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of four. Now, Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly sunny, but there is a wind warning in effect because there's expected to be wind gusts up to 100 kilometers per hour. So everyone needs to be very careful out there. It's gonna be an extremely windy day. The high there is 10. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's cloudy, clearing later, and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of 13. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow flurries later, and minus one is the high there. Over to Kelowna, BC, it's a mix of sunny clouds, wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour, and a high of 13. Finally, in Vancouver, BC, there's rain throughout the day, up to 25 millimeters expected, and a special weather statement is in effect because there's also winds expected to reach up to 70 kilometers per hour, and the high is 11. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Apple has released an update to the Mac Ventura operating system. Stephen Scott will share his initial impressions. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The good people at Apple released an update to their Mac Ventura operating system this week. Stephen Scott has thoughts on this. He's also the host of Double Tap, which you can find daily at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. Always nice chatting with you. Nice to hear that you're back from vacation, back in the mix. Stephen, tell me about this update, this upgrade to macOS Ventura. What are they rolling out here? Well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Dave. It is not the most exciting update for most people. I should state for most people that there are some features in there around accessibility I want to talk about. But for most people, I think it, this is a visual refresh in a lot of ways. This isn't the biggest update that we've seen from an operating system for quite a while. Um, I think a lot of the changes, a lot of the, the the visual design changes have been coming into play here. So we have see a lot of new, uh, interesting looks to the system. And I think a lot of fixes under the hood as well. And this is the kind of change we're starting to see now with updates. It's the same with Windows and it's the same with Google as well. We're starting to see these little changes coming in. So it's all evolution rather than revolution, which is not a bad thing. No, not bad at all. Certainly everything gets a refresh or an update here and there. So let's talk about the accessibility side. What do you want to flag in regards to accessibility features or some usability for users with disabilities? Well, you know, the biggest change that came in, which I've got to say I'm most excited about, is finally, uh, for those of you who use JAWS out there, the screen reader, uh, you might be pleased to know that uh, there is now a fantastic voice in there called Eloquence. 
Um, now, Eloquence is the voice of JAWS, as most people might know. Mac now has that feature built into it. Now, you might think to yourself, you know, this is a very old voice. It's been around for a very long time, and it's not the, the greatest voice in the world, you might say. But do you know what? It is very clear. It does make the system much faster, much more responsive. So, you know, I'm really, really interested to know what people think about this. But, you know, from what I'm reading on Twitter, lots of people are very excited about this. And also, um, I mean, this isn't the biggest news in the world, but we do have a new voiceover command. Ooh, ooh. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> um, we have a new voiceover command, VOF7, which is uh, control option F7. And when you press it once, you get told the battery level. When you press it again, you get told the time and date. And when you press VO7 F7 again, you get told the Wi-Fi status. So basically what they've done is they've taken a lot of commands, a lot of the status menu information, and made that more available through a singular command, which is really good yeah. because... It means you get easy access to that information without having to go up to the status menu and try and find it from there. Yeah, that's all just really usable stuff, right? That's stuff that you want to know and need to know as you're operating around in the system. So it's really good if you can do that with a couple punches of a button as opposed to trying yeah. to navigate an entire home screen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there are some issues I've got with this. I mean, you know, one particular issue which has come up is the settings menu. So system preferences has now become system settings. And what they've done is they've changed the look of system settings a little bit. So uh, it's more, very Windows-like, actually, but it's a bit more difficult to navigate and to put a lot of buttons in places. One example of this is uh, trying to find the way to turn your function keys into F1, F2, F3 keys, as opposed to, say, shortcuts like, you know, volume up and down mm. and do not disturb mm. and all that, which are the default. For most people, especially those who use things like voiceover, you probably want to have access to the F keys, the one, two, three, uh, you know, you have to really dig into the settings. You've got to go into keyboard and you've got to go into keyboard shortcuts and you've got to go into another table and you've got to navigate through all this just to get to the bit to make that change. Whereas before it was just very simple. You just went into a menu and it was there, it was right there and you could just tick box it and that was it. So, you know, some good things, some bad things. Um, I mean, you know, there's a few issues around, uh, you know, mail at the moment. I'm hearing a few issues there. Uh, although there is one feature of mail, which I do think is much better for voiceover users. Now, when you're navigating through your list of messages, it will tell you immediately if you've replied to that message or not. Didn't oh, used to do that. Oh, heck That's yeah. Cool. Heck yeah. Yeah. Well, how many times have you, have you, how many times do we go through our email? I don't know if you're like this as well, Dave, but I'm one of these people in my head. I reply to every email <laughs> in my head. I've always replied. I'm like, I've replied to that email and that is done. And then I go, hang on a minute. I haven't replied to anybody here. What is going on? Every time I get an email, it is absolutely replied to in my head. hundred percent. There's always a glorious response in my brain that does not always <laughs> make its way out to my fingertips and then out into the world wide web. That is very, very accurate. Actually, Stephen, yeah. while we're talking about email, just as a quick aside, I was uh, talking to one of my friends a couple weeks ago about the zero inbox strategy, which says oh. that every email, as soon as it comes in, is either responded to or triaged into a folder. Where do you stand on the zero inbox strategy? So, my, well, I'd like to live in that theory. The way I do it, though, and just coming off vacation, I've done it again. I just come into my inbox. I control A to select all and delete. <laughs> and if it's that important, they'll come back to me. 
That's how I do it. That's my zero inbox strategy right there. Delete the lot, start again. I mean, there is something zero inboxy about that. I like that. Well, you responded to one of my emails last week while you were on vacation, so I'm glad I didn't get caught in the Control-A trap. Uh, Stephen, I I never know what rabbit hole Paul Daniels going to go down as he thinks about these segments because he'll jump in and Mm. he'll do a little bit of research. There was a feature called Stage Manager that jumped off the screen to him. I did yep. not dive down this rabbit hole. What is it? Well, this is an interesting one, and it is, it is really interesting around accessibility. But first up, Stage Manager is a feature where, as you know, you know what it's like. You maybe have your computer open. You've got, you know, I've got, you know, right now Skype. I've got mail. I've got, you know, text edit going on. I've got all these different applications running, Audacity in the background, whatever else is going on. My machine is just clouded with Windows. And... You know, you can navigate through those by command tab, which is fine. For me as a voiceover user, that's absolutely fine. But, you know, a lot of people like to work in a tidy space. And what you can do with Stage Manager is you can take all those individual applications and you can push them all to the side. Just on your screen, they will all just appear as a column on your left side. And you can see all the different applications, even bunches of applications you're working on together. And then the main application you're working on is right there in focus. So it makes it much easier to navigate. And I think visually, it's just it's much more tidy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who are on iPads, you the one major benefit of this feature is that when you connect an external monitor to your iPad, you'd be able to view the uh, stage manager in full screen. Whereas at the moment, if you plug any iPad into a monitor, you'll get those cutoffs at the edge because of the fact that the iPad is square rather than full widescreen like a monitor. So... You know, you get a little cut off. You don't get that with the iPad and Stage Manager. Now, I will say that accessibility-wise, with a voiceover hat on, uh, there's no difference here to Command Tab because visually it is all visual, right? There's no, mm-hmm. there's no major mm-hmm. difference here. There's nothing that's going to. I mean, I'm, t- I'm Command Tabbing around, expecting something to happen, and I think just on the screen, just these things were flying around all over the place, but it didn't really make any difference to me. So. Yeah, I think for somebody who wants to work in a tidy space, I think this is a really good feature, although it has come with its bugs. This is a feature that was released a little bit too early, I feel. Mm. And uh, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm my general impression of, of this new macOS Ventura is maybe wait a month till things settle down before yeah. you do the upgrade if you can avoid it. How often do we find ourselves having that conversation, right? Whenever there's a new software update, maybe wait a couple of weeks here and let them get a couple bugs out, especially yeah. if you are concerned at all about accessibility settings. Well, I mean, you know, a good example for me is I use Audacity to edit um, because I'm cheap. It's free. And um, <laughs> I love that. And, you know, what's great about it is it's a brilliant uh, system. But the downside is that with new, the new macOS Ventura, it is not the most accessible. Um, and it's even less accessible because what it does is every time you go into a window to do something, it kicks you back out. That's a bug, clearly. Yeah. That needs to be fixed. But these are the kind of things that can happen. And a lot of people will jump in early and they'll be hit by these bugs. You've got to be very careful. Um, if you rely on specific softwares, always check first. Even just tweet the company and say, hey, you know, does this, does, it, does your app work with this? Mm-hmm. You know, check in. I would say that if you're an Apple user and you're blind or you're partially sighted, applevis.com, applevis.com is the best resource. We don't tend to talk too much about the bugs on our show because usually by the time we get the show out, it's either been fixed yeah, or yeah. a whole new one's arrived. So, Go to applevis.com. They will keep you up to date with exactly what is going on. Uh, They constantly track all these bugs and they encourage people to engage as well. So 
that's a great resource if you're an Apple user. Stephen, you mentioned uh, open tabs and the number of open tabs that you may roll within your computer. I can mm. tell you for a fact that you can measure my anxiety by how many tabs I have open in a, in a web browser. <laughs> as soon as you get over yeah. like seven or eight, it's like, oh, Dave's having a bad day. Well, you just, you know, trying to manage all that, you know, it's just, and of course, that's the thing. I don't know about you, but I tend to do that because it means then I think about, okay, it means I, I haven't lost that page. Usually yeah, because yeah. My, my brain starts here on the left somewhere and ends up way over there on the right. <laughs> and, you know, there's lots of thoughts going on in between. And that, like you, is measured by open Chrome tabs. <laughs> now, now there is a now there is a flip side to this though, because what will reduce my anxiety is that I look at those tabs as almost like a to do list, and when I accomplish mm. said to do list, I get to close the tab and feel a little bit better about myself. Yeah, well, that's true. Although Microsoft To Do, brilliant application for iPhone, Android, and across Mac and Windows as well, it is a great application if you're looking to take control of your to-do list because it is a literal to-do list and you can use it on your phone, you can have it on your computer and you just, and you can even assign, I love this bit, you can assign tasks to other people. Oh, so I'm like, yeah. Sean Priest, can you just do this? <laughs> and I send it off to him. It's brilliant. Mr. F, can you do this? Can you do that? Yeah, I get Absolutely, that. Yeah, yeah, smart technique. Sean, it's always, a, a, <laughs> the Sean, Stephen, Mr. F, all the great characters are here on Double Tap Daily. <laughs> Stephen, it's always a great time catching up, man. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. You too. That's Stephen Scott offering up some initial impressions of the Mac OS Ventura update. Coming up next, we will catch up with Ramya Amuthan and Nazreen Abdelmajid. We'll talk about fireworks. I'll also tell you what's coming up on The Pulse on AMI-audio a little bit later today. That's coming up after the break. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. This afternoon, Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on The Pulse, Shruta Gupta will talk to disability activist Judy Human about a new training program for job seekers with disabilities offered by Fable Tech Labs. That's The Pulse, Thursdays, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and then available on YouTube and your favorite podcasting platform. Lots of ways to get your eyes and ears on the pulse. And Juita's always got great guests lined up and incredible conversations. And you'll hear from Juita tomorrow on the news panel. Get your double dose of Juita every single week, a Thursday, Friday, doubleheader. Let's uh, bring the folks together and do a little bit more Halloween talk, but Halloween in a different sort of way. Fireworks have been part of the Halloween tradition in the lower mainland of British Columbia for some time. Although its exact origins are unclear, historians suggest the tradition may involve a combination of both English and Chinese heritage. Vancouver historian Michael Kulkner says firecrackers were a big part of his Halloween experience as a child. And then I remember going to school, you know, when you go to school the morning after, so November the 1st, and You'd be walking to school, and we would be there. There would just be this litter of of burnt and exploded paper, all over the streets and mixed with the leaves and everything. And we would look around for any of the unexploded ones and gather them up and then explode them later. 
Plenty of municipalities in BC ban the general public from using fireworks, including Vancouver, Kelowna, Coquitlam, Kamloops, Surrey, you know, most of the big places. That said, I wasn't really familiar with the fact that Halloween and fireworks were something that went together until I read about this this morning. So I want to bring in Ramya Amuthan and Nazreen Abdelmajid to chat about this one a little bit. Guys, I'll, I'll get your general thoughts on fireworks in a moment. But Nazreen, Halloween and fireworks, how do you feel about that? You ever put that together before? Never. I've never heard of fireworks on Halloween. That's the first. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's festive. But I, th- I think of fireworks as more of like a Canada Day thing or like uh, maybe even yeah, a Victoria New Day Year's. weekend thing. New- oh, yeah, New Year's. I've yeah. uh, definitely not totally illegally shot off fireworks on a New Year's Eve ever, not once in the middle of Montreal. That never happened. Ramya, your general thoughts on, on fireworks and Halloween. Odd combination or something that works there? To me, it still feels like an odd combination. I've really (laughs) sunk deep into that thought because I'm thinking, well, there's kids everywhere. They're walking around, trick or treat. It's dark. It's scary to begin with. Should we really be putting uh, fireworks into that mix? I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. I'm a bit nervous about it. Yeah, just fireworks in general make me a little bit nervous. Anytime anybody is amateurly handling fireworks, it's definitely not a good idea. Again, not that I'm speaking from personal experience at all in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, That said, I am a lover of fireworks, particularly of the professional variety. I love me a fireworks show. Big booms, lots of sound, give me some music. Even if you think of it as more of a visual aesthetic, I would argue that the sonic element is almost as important as as the actual visual element. Nazreen, what are your general feelings about fireworks? I absolutely love fireworks. I just need a heads up. I just really need a heads up before you fire them off. I get scared. And that's why I think it's an odd combination in general with Halloween because I'm already scared of, you know, <laughs> Halloween costumes in general. <laughs> but um, for I love fireworks on special occasions. I mean, if you want to fire on my birthday, I wouldn't mind at all. <laughs> Things like that, you know, like important days like that. Ramya, <laughs> how, how, do, how do you feel about fireworks? I love that you just threw out the idea of, you know, people blessing fireworks on her birthday. Yeah, a little, um, so, a little, a little nazi birthday party <laughs> through and through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so cute. Um, what was the question? Uh, how do I feel about your general, fireworks? Your general feelings on fireworks, yeah. <laughs> right. I love fireworks too, Dave. I have to shout out the Disability Collective. They ran a workshop called Burning Tears, where all we focused on was the description of fireworks. There was obviously like a lot bigger conversation about audio description and image description, but we spent like two hours talking about fireworks and people describing fireworks and that sonic element you talked about, um, describing fireworks in visually in poetic and beautiful ways that is not just talking about the visual, but the, I guess the, I I don't know, the poetry of fireworks, you know, like how Mm. it makes you feel and this combination of senses, the smell, all these different things. So uh, since that, I've also had another beautiful appreciation for fireworks, but I've always loved it. Ramya, do you have a fireworks memory, one particular set of fireworks or a show or an event that really jumps out to you that will always sort of lock into your brain? Yes, Niagara Falls on Canada Day. I was a kid and we we got a great spot. I don't know who went and scouted out the spot because my family is late for everything. But we had this perfect spot on the grass that I think it's like 
Queen Victoria Park or, you know, whatever it is across the street. And um, the fireworks, I don't remember most of it, but at the end, they spelled out Canada and I saw it, which was the best wow. part. It was so beautiful. And I got, we got to see the whole thing spelled out, which uh, is it etched in my mind. One of the things, maybe the best thing about my old apartment in Ottawa, that that and the fact that it was $1,000 a month for like a beautiful modern one bedroom, uh, the balcony looked out towards Parliament. So every year on July the 1st, I was able to watch the Parliament fireworks show from the comfort of my own balcony. Best seat in the whole city for the fireworks show. And I missed that feature dearly. But in the last year that I lived there, they started building a condo that was obstructing the view. So I got out just in time. <laughs> Nazreen, what about a fireworks show that stands out to you that didn't scare you at first, that, that, that you were able to actually enjoy? It was also on Canada Day in uh, Niagara Falls. And I mentioned this because it wasn't even about the fireworks specifically. I mean, it was beautiful and it was endless at one point. But I feel like it was all you can see is about 45 Middle Eastern uh, family just all together because at one point we were all together on Canada Day and it never happens but that day all of us all my cousins aunts everybody their oh. kids and their kids and it was such a fun time because uh, you know we were just all together but it was so funny because everybody looked at us we're just a group of people with scarves and <laughs> everything like that so it was a pretty fun time, but the fireworks were gorgeous. Yeah. And as Remy yeah. said, it was one time where I, I can actually like see it clearly. It was like, it was when I was a kid, but um, yeah, it's very nice. I'll tell you, my favorite all time was at a baseball game in Denver. It was the last home weekend of the season at Coors Field, and after the Friday night game, they invited all the fans onto the field to sit and watch a fireworks show. We just stayed in our seats. I didn't feel like getting onto the grass of the field. And they proceeded to put on what must have been a 40-minute fireworks show, just blasting nice. rock and roll music. It was um, a very white experience. The music was very <laughs> Bruce Springsteen-y, but uh, it was, and like all the songs were about like USA. It was like, born in the USA, and just like the fires going off. It was, it was wild. And I would, I would, I would, I would relive that night every night for the rest of my life if I could. But, uh, but unfortunately we can't all have fireworks night every single night, but we can talk to you guys every single day. So Nazreen, we always appreciate catching up. Thank you. And Ramya, before you say goodbye, tell me what's coming up on Kelly and company this afternoon at 2 PM Eastern time. Yes, and I was going to say, Nisreen's birthday, I think, is coming up, so we can definitely talk about fireworks for Okay, we'll go to Thai and Danega yeah. and buy some Roman candles and, like, totally not illegally <laughs> shoot them off. Exactly, exactly. All right, so we're talking about plants and emotion. Do plants actually feel emotion? We're going to talk to gardener Susan Kearney about her findings on the question. We're also talking with March of Dimes camera, uh, camera, March of Dimes Canada's uh, spokesperson for National Disability Employment Awareness Month, uh, Gift Schuma, and she's an he's a disability advocate and assistive technology specialist. We're going to talk about what the organization is doing to help attain career success for people with disabilities. Also, we have our roundtable, and I'm super excited because we're chatting with former AMI editor and great friend of the AMI network, Mark Phoenix. Ooh, the Phoenix. The Phoenix rises and He's joins back. Kelly and company. I love it. <laughs> Ramya, have a great show. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good, Dave. That's Rami Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming your way next, Karen McGee has the details on who won this year's Arthur Napier McGill Distinguished Service Award. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI.
It's now with Dave Brown on AMI, and it's also now time for Karen McGee to join us from Morrisburg, Ontario, an AMI content development specialist. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning from the thriving metropolis of Morrisburg. Mm -hmm. A little bit chillier today than it was yesterday, for sure. Tis the way it goes. You guys were up in the 20s yesterday, and now it's almost like old man winter is rattling the chain. That's 27, last I checked. 27. Whoo, baby. Ain't like that anymore. That's okay. This is how this is how winter rolls in in Canada. Karen, let's talk about Jonathan Petrie, a really famous individual in the Ottawa area. He's been honored with a park in his hometown of Russell, Ontario. Karen, Jonathan Petrie may be very famous in Ottawa, but maybe not as well known nationally. Tell us a bit about his story. So he passed away in 2018. And before that, like I said, he was super well known in our area and also kind of in the NHL circle. Um, he had epidermal mollusus bullosa, which made his skin fragile, like the wings of a butterfly, which is why he was also known as the butterfly boy. He was a huge sense fan, a huge hockey fan. Um, and the NHL really rallied with him to raise awareness of the disease that most people had never heard of. TSN did an award-winning documentary on him as well that um, that, that was really, it's really powerful actually. Um, to give you an idea of the impact he had on the Sens and sort of in the hockey world and in our area, their development camp named an award in his honor called the Jonathan Petrie Award, which is given out to the hardest working players in the camp. And for quite a few years, from about 20, say 15 to 2018 until his death, there, he was featured quite heavily in the news, um, sort of raising awareness. Um, he was undergoing some treatment, some experimental treatment when he passed away. Um, but he did a lot to sort of raise awareness of this disease that uh, is, is more common than you think, but a lot of people don't know about. So that's Jonathan Petrie's backstory. How is this park honoring his memory? So he didn't get to play in parks because the skin is so delicate, it blisters, it peels away. Um, playing in a park is not an option for him. And there weren't a lot of accessible parks in the area. So this past month, the township of Russell officially opened the Jonathan Petrie Park. And according to their press release, the new park includes things like an accessible play structure, swings, a boat structure, exercise equipment. There's also tennis and basketball courts. It's the first accessible park in Russell. And Russell's just outside of Ottawa. It's not small. So this is this is a big step and a long time coming. Um, Jonathan really loved the outdoors. So this is a really fitting tribute to him. And actually in September 2020, during the pandemic, the Jonathan Petrie Catholic Elementary School was also named for him in Riverside South as well. So, you know, he's being honored quite well and hopefully um, that awareness will keep going. Yeah, the impact that he had on the community uh, was was quite touching. And uh, when he passed in 2018, that was that was certainly a very emotional day in Ottawa media, uh, probably only rivaled by when Brian Fraser passed away a couple of years ago. It's uh, pretty amazing oh. how the city and the community can can rally around these these people. You're going to make me cry here, Dave. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, Karen, let's jump over to something that's not going to make you cry. The CNIB has announced this year's winner of the Arthur Napier McGill Distinguished Service Award, which recognizes passionate and dedicated volunteers. So, Karen, we'll almost pretend like this is the news quiz on Tuesday. And the winner is... <laughs> well, let's go a little bit about the award. Um, this is the highest honor for the CNIB, and this year's honor is really deserving. And I'm going to quote the CNIB Facebook post about it because they really do sum up his contribution really well. In 1991, Robert and his late brother David attended camp in CNIB Lake Joe for the first time. It was described as a life-changing experience by both brothers, one that would become the catalyst for countless hours of service and support in both CNIB and D 
DBCS for years to come. Um, Robert gave a lot, especially to CNIB Lake Joe, um, raised some money to honor things in his brother's memory after his brother passed away. Um, just to give you an idea of how powerful this award is, some of the uh, past winners are Lewis Gillis, Francis Cutler, and Dorothy McNaughton. So it's really, um, it's really kind of a big deal. Yeah, Karen, give us those those names th uh, another time because those three people are all names that are well known, certainly within either local communities or even on this show. So uh, Louise Gillis, Francis Cutler, who was one of the founding people who started up Voice Print many mm -hmm, years ago, mm -hmm. and um, Dorothy McNaughton. You may, you may be familiar with that name. Yeah, Dorothy, a regular contributor on this show once a month as a community reporter. Louise Gillis obviously was the president of the CCB for a long, long time, spearheaded a lot of the community work they do. And you mentioned Francis Cutler uh, doing a ton of work in the foundation just, of, vo of voice prints, but was also just a huge, huge trailblazer in uh, media for people from the blind and low vision community working behind the scenes at CBC for years and years and years. I just realized I didn't give you David's last name. It's from, sorry, total brain lock there. I got so excited. That, David that, Frum is the winner. Yeah, David. Sorry. <laughs> it, 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 th there's a way that people can learn a little bit more about their story. Where should they go to do that? So here's where Mark Calm loves me. AMI did a documentary on Lake Joe last year called Ripples that talks more about Robert and David's story. And you can watch it on AMI.com. AMI so AMI.ca. AMI oh, Mark Calm likes you Thanks. a little less now, Karen. <sighs> can't believe I did that. Under documentaries. Look for ripples and you can find out more about them and learn more about Lake Joe, which is his passion project. Yeah, AMI.ca is something that I think we don't talk about enough on this show. The amount of content that gets posted over there, whether it be now with Dave Brown feature interviews, a lot of the great archives of documentaries and original programming up on there. There's a lot of amazing described content available for folks on AMI. Oh, gratis. For free, just head over to ami.ca and you can find all kinds of great stuff, including that excellent, excellent Lake Joe documentary. Karen, before we let you go, before we say goodbye, there's a couple minutes on the clock. And every now and then, I know that I've asked a good poll question when you chime in on my text messages and say, I've got something to say here. So let me set the table with today's poll question, which folks can find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. How concerned are you about rising interest rates? Very concerned, somewhat concerned, or not concerned? Karen, you've got a bit of a personal story to tell here. So my mortgage was supposed to be up to be redone in April of 2023. Last December, I started contacting my bank going, I'd like to renew early because you could see I have a fixed mortgage and you could see the interest rates were going to start to climb. Like if you're paying any attention to the mm -hmm. news, they've been mm -hmm. warning, they were warning about this. Here's where the lack of people being able to, um, the lack of workers. Our bank has been unable to keep workers. There's been high turnover. People have been off on leave. It took them until August of this year to actually get around to it. Now, it wasn't pressing, but I missed, I think, two rate increases in that time, which actually ended up costing me money, but that's okay. It's a wonderful bank. I'm not complaining. I also, at the same time, put all my credit card debt on my mortgage, so I'm paying a lesser interest rate to pay it off, and I have no debt. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I got very lucky, I think, locked in for five years. Hopefully things will not be crazy in five years. But I feel very fortunate that I started nagging back when I did. So if you're up in the next little bit, my advice, and I'm not like not a financial expert, I get most of my financial knowledge from Dave Brown. <laughs> um, start just just talk to your bank. They're happy to talk to you. 
Karen, and they were really helpful. For for a long time, you were one of my conduits into adulthood. Most adult problems <laughs> that I had, I would come to Karen McGee. So you can say that I offer you financial advice, but you also offer me very adult advice. And this is, I think, probably a prime example of that. Just because your mortgage may be up in a couple of years or maybe up in a couple of months, there's no reason as to why you can't be a little bit proactive in the process. That said, in the era of multiple rate hikes over the course of six months, maybe being proactive might not be the most helpful thing in the world. You might actually benefit from uh, chilling a little bit and trying to take a breath. But I know there's a lot of people who are stressing quite a bit right now. We're looking at fixed rate mortgages that are looking at almost a similar rate as variable rate mortgages. So there might even be a peace of mind of switching from variable to fixed if you can do that. But definitely this is a time to have open dialogue with your bankers and certainly be conscious of debt. Now, I know there's so many folks who might be listening today who are on disability assistance or on fixed income. They're a senior, whatever reason. I, you can't budget your way out of like systemic underfunding and underpayment of people. There's no amount of budgeting you can do to solve those kinds of issues. But if you do find yourself in a position to have those conversations, it's definitely a worthwhile experience. I feel very, very fortunate. Even complaining about the fact that took them that long to do it. God love them. Um, I, I feel very fortunate that we are in the position to do that. Yeah, no wonder they have trouble keeping staff. They've got to deal with Karen McGee's all day. There's too much friendliness for them to deal with. It's Thank impossible. You. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, thanks for you're this. The, we'll, we'll talk to you next you're week. You're the best, my friend. You're the absolute best. No, you're the best. That's Karen McGee, oh. the best and a content development specialist for AMI, joining us from the thriving metropolis of Morrisburg, Ontario. In fact, they're just going to change the name of Morrisburg to Metropolis, Ontario. That's how thriving metropolis it is. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning. We'll assemble the news panel with Michelle and Joita. We'll talk about some new census data about religious affiliation in Canada. We'll talk about the political turmoil, for lack of a better term, that occurred in Britain over the last few weeks. And of course, Michael McNeely will be here and Greg David will stop by the show as well. It's always a good one on a Friday. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.